Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a writer. writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Isle McElroy. Isle McElroy is a non-binary writer based in Brooklyn. Their debut novel, The Atmospherians, was published in May by Atria and was named a New York Times editor's choice. Other writing appears in the New York Times, New York Times Magazine, The Guardian, The Cut, Vulture, GQ, Vogue, The Atlantic, Tin House, and elsewhere. Isle was named one of the Strand's 30 writers to watch. They have received fellowships from the Breadloaf Writers Conference, the Tin House Summer Workshop, the Swanee Writers Conference, the Inprint Foundation, the Elizabeth George Foundation, and the National Park Service. Their new novel, People Collide, will come out in 2023. Welcome, Isle. Hey, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Excited to have you and can't wait to hear you read to us. All right, so I'm going to read from a section pretty early in the book. This is from chapter two, and I'm not sure that there's anything that you need to know. Um, the narrator is Sasha, uh, and she has just been picked up by, I guess there are things you need to know, um, <laughs> has just been picked up um, by her best friend, Dyson, from her house where she has been living sort of in seclusion and being protested by men's rights activists um, for the last few months. Okay. An hour into the drive, Dyson stopped at a towering three-story mall to stretch his legs. He straightened his arms against the roof of the car, resting his weight on one leg and swinging the other pendulum leg in front of his body as if preparing for a race. I lounged on the trunk, swallowing the sky with my eyes. A few rows away from our car, in an empty corner of the parking lot, five white men crowded around a station wagon raised on a jack. They were changing the, knee, the rear passenger side tire in total silence, not one mumble of small talk, working via some ant-like understanding of the task, passing tools and unscrewing bolts, dropping screws into the cupped palms of their partners, cradling the spare like a child. Two of the men wore t-shirts and sweatpants and had the foggy, undershaven faces of the terminally underemployed. The other three men must have come from work, two in khakis and button-downs, the last one wearing fashionable jeans and the black employee polo of an electronics store. I was too far away to see their eyes. In news reports, their eyes had been described as gluey, dulled, and I would have inched closer were it not for the woman behind the wheel. She slapped her window and shouted, leave me alone. Her fear of the men gave me reason to fear them. Dyson took a step toward the car. I've never seen a man hoard in person, he said. I hadn't either. Can't you hear that woman screaming, I asked, hoping to minimize his curiosity. 
and mine. I didn't want to get involved. Maybe we ought to go help her, he said. There was the one in New Hampshire last week who chopped down the trees in front of the courthouse, I said. They might have weapons for all we know. Over the past year, more and more men, always white men, have been hoarding together unprompted to perform mundane social activities. There was no way of telling how a Moyen horde would act once it formed. Some, like the horde at the mall, changed strangers' tires. Others washed windows at retirement homes. One broke into a duplex and folded all of the homeowner's laundry. Another broke into a duplex and strangled the homeowner's beagle. The men who hoarded never remembered joining a horde. When shown footage of their actions, they laughed in disbelief, insisted they were watching actors. Some spontaneously wept. Hordes have become popular subjects on the local news programs I watched every day, and I considered myself an expert on the whims of the hordes. The men lowered the station wagon off its jack and departed in separate directions, probably planning to never speak to one another again. The driver sped away, flipping them off out the window. What a letdown, said Dyson. Not exciting enough for you, I asked. A letdown for people like you who think the hordes are dangerous. He started in the direction of the mall. I'll stop there. I love that you read that part because it sort of gets at um, this incredible tone that you've established in this book, which to me is sort of... (laughs) It's sort of like, are we scared or are we laughing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, <exactly>. like, yeah. <laughs> and um, and I think it's both in that scene because because the man hordes are funny and also kind of poignant and sad, you know, these men trying to fulfill whatever <laughs> duties you know that they've society yeah. has said that they should fulfill, but also sometimes like they kick a German shepherd to death, yeah. or you know they they jump to their own death. Spoiler, um, and. <laughs> And I just wanted to know from you how how you were able to establish that kind of tone, and and how you were able to keep it so um, like authentic and and so like it's it's like a book that creates its own rules, yeah. And it never it never shies away from them. No, that's so exciting to hear, right? Because I think that I think tone is like wildly difficult for me. So the idea that I pulled it off, I think, feels really wonderful. Um, I mean, part of it like is that maybe that's just sort of how I live my life in sort mm-hmm. of like equal measures, like, you know, humor and like shock, right? Like, and I feel like that's um, probably how a lot of us live from day to day mm-hmm. as a sort of like coping strategy, right? So I think that that ability to sort of move between these two very separate tones um, was huge for me in that it was like, I that's just how I deal with some of the very difficult and like treacherous themes of the novel is that I like a lot of times I like respond to those things with jokes as for like actually creating it. I mean, for me, I think like my impulse is to like write something that will be like funny. Like I'm trying to like make jokes all the time. Right. And that's like even coming out in my work. And so a lot of the work was like actively trying to sort of sew in a lot of that horror that you were talking about, Mm -hmm. just trying to like really actively create tension. And I think that when I was really um, inserting that kind of tension into a world that already had that kind of humor, um, then I was just able to come to a kind of equilibrium between the two of them eventually. Mm -hmm. I think that equilibrium is reached 
in part because the sentences are so full and oh my god the sentences yeah absolutely i mean throughout this book i'll and you and i have talked about this book a lot in different ways over yeah. the past couple of years it's it and the thing that i am most impressed by and and the thing that i think is so worthy of talking about for a long time is the quality of these sentences the the snap to them the life to them and like I said before, I think it's the best way to say it, just how full they are. There, there's so much possibility within these sentences. And like Lindsay was saying, you're not sure at times tonally where you are in the best way. It's not it's not a lack of control by the author. It is uh, the promise of possibility in these sentences. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. No, that's like the best. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the best compliment you can get, right? Like, I mean, that's, and, and that's really interesting because I think, Absolutely, especially when working and trying to like create humor or like horror, right? Like, you know, where I think it's all about like a really well-placed comma when you're thinking about like either one of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Like how does something like become a joke, right? I mean, the, the famous example is like the, you know, the one that like goes around on Twitter of like, let's eat grandma, right? You know, so <laughs> like, um, but I think that that's like a really great example between like, you know, joy and horror, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just like, so that's, uh, I would say that all of my sentences aspire to the comma and let's eat grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's such related <clears throat> emotions, uh, laughing yeah. and being terrified. I, I know, I think I've told this story yeah. in the podcast before, but I, the first time I saw The Shining, I was in second grade and I thought it was like the funniest movie ever, cool. you know, and then seeing it again as, as I was older, I was horror, you know, terrified. Um, I mean, but I feel like that, those that emotions. Reminds, yeah. I, I just want to say real quick, like my partner and I like literally just finished watching Eyes Wide Shut. And oh my God. So right? And so like, oh there's, I mean, Fidelio. I, yeah, Fidelio, right. Let's uh, that's the get 20% off. Yeah. You're <laughs> in. Yeah. Um, this is, this is the beginning of your like. <laughs> Uh, sort of sex cults that's right um, that's why yeah, you're on today sponsorship plan. yeah yeah um, so yeah sign up for sculpt and mm-hmm. um, use the code Fidelio. um but, but there's the scene where tom cruise like sees the mask on the pillow and he breaks down right and all i was thinking is like as he's weeping is that he sounds like he's laughing mm. right like yes. and so and i was like like is this just bad acting or is like I mean maybe some of it right but like also I think there is a like as you were saying Lindsay right like the connection between those two things um is like absolutely real like laughter and horror right and like fittingly enough that it would be another Kubrick movie that would like bring both of those feelings yes totally and I'm sure Tom Cruise being directed by Kubrick probably was off center as well. <laughs> you know, go. like, yeah, yeah, exactly. what am I supposed to be doing here? But yeah. also, I mean, relating back to the book in a way, I mean, a thing that both those movies have that the Atmospherians also has is a rich enough baseline context for any sort of performance to kind of make a sort of sense and, mm-hmm. and have a sort of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are so many characters in this book that I think put in other books would not make sense or be funny or have the kind of lasting power in your memory where in this book they do, because it's not that the context is unsteady. It's just that it's rich enough to be able to give them (laughs) purchase, you know? And I think that is something that 
that Kubrick's work has in spades and Isle, your work does too, as well. It's just, it's just a kind of strange, familiar depth that uh, allows for a certain kind of, I don't know, character to, to, to flourish. Yeah. You trust it, right. It's got that. You trust it. It's got, it's, it's like mm-hmm. I was saying, like it makes its own rules and you, and you're in, you're in, you know, mm-hmm. like there's never like a little peek around the corner where you're like, what, even like, you know, the equivalent of the scene in the shining where there's the, the furry going down mm-hmm. on the guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. Exactly. I get it. You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, that is like, like that was literally what I was predicting before I saw the show, like, my first time watching. It. I'm like, I'm one furry giving a blowjob away from this movie being complete. And there, well, I've always said that about you too. It's so funny. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> no, no, but but I mean, like, yeah, that's so interesting. And I've like, I've thought all the time that like my ideal novel is similar to Kubrick's set of the East Village, right? Like oh. because you know because I think what's so interesting about that is that that to me is about like space um, realized through like nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like the construction of like, it's not going to be the real thing, but it's going to be like the artist's sort of memory of what this place My is. God, yeah. And like, those are absolutely the types of novels that I most love, right? Where it's like, oh, like it might not, like whenever writers are like, oh, I'm doing like, a lot of research to like make sure that I get like this how the streets of Paris can't relate like yeah exactly I'm just like (laughs) I was like I was there once like maybe like six years ago but like the version of it that is like filtered through my memory I think is so much more interesting um when I mean it's it's more convenient and easy for me so I I should admit that um but I also think that like when I read it and I feel like I'm not sure that this is the real thing but it is a sort of place that is sort of realized through feeling rather than fact and, I think and it's that, yeah. absolutely and it's like you know the that set exists so the costume shop can exist right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and in the same way that like the mall in the atmospherians like <laughs> the world of the novel is so the mall can exist and so the camp can exist i mean like these yeah. things like they they exist because they must. It's not because it, it's not, you know, it's not incidental. And I think that that feeling that it's not incidental is like so essential. And, and when it, when a, when a novel really pulls off a truly made world or, or a movie does, it's like, you know, it, and, and it, it's different. It's absolutely a quality that, you know, you're looking for as a reader for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back to the, the language because I usually um, put little sticky notes on pages that I want to remember or something, you know, that I really loved. Um, and I just like gave up <laughs> as I was reading your yeah. book um, because it's constant. It is a constant barrage of these perfectly sculpted sentences and this unique phrasing and imagery. Um, does that come to you in the moment or does that come to you in revision? Like, how does that work? Um, I mean, it. Oftentimes they come to me in the moment. Um, and I like, I mean, it's also like hard to know, right? Like, I mean, I, I do think that I don't have as much of a memory about like the sentence by sentence basis of it. And I'm sure that if I'm like telling myself, oh, like it came to me in the moment, I'm like absolutely lying. Right. <laughs> and like, um, but, but like I like sort of like retroactively want to believe 
um, that they're just emerging like that. And, and that's not true, right? And I think like a lot of them come out of like, I mean, one that I can think of is like, um, Lindsay, I think it was the one that you shared, right? Like a face, like an electrical outlet, right? Like, I mean, that- I one. snagged on that. And I was like, <laughs> what? oh my God, I could just see it. I could see it in so many different, I could see it in a realistic face. I could see it in a cartoon face. I could see it in a, in a like a horrifying mask. I could see it, like it was immediate what you meant by that. And I'd never seen that before. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, for me, like that, like literally that, um, simile was sort of like a reverse engineering of something that we often think. I, I, I grew up, uh, my dad was an electrician. So I spent a lot of times like staring into the faces of electrical outlets as a kid, uh, <laughs> probably somehow not getting electrocuted. I don't know how it happened, but Just I like- Just lightly, you got yeah, lightly yeah. electrocuted. I did get a few light buzzes every once in a while. Um, but I think there's so much of like, oh, like this electrical outlet looks like a face. And that metaphor or that simile was just like, what if I just flip that around and see what sort of like truth can come out of that, right? Like, like that I think is like, those are the more simple ones that just sort of emerged for me. Um, but I think there are other ones that sort of need a bit more like chipping away at and refining. Um, but I think for me, like those types of similes, like I'm just always trying to like I'm just always trying, right? I'm like shooting my shot. And like oftentimes they fail and it's in revision when I realize that they failed, that I need to go back and try to like figure out something better. Um, it, it feels yeah. really related to what you were saying about um, space and nostalgia, because yeah. when you're really seeing something, I think is when that language can come to you, those similes can come to you. And um, and it, and it, that's why it feels so of itself, which yeah. I think is something Alex was trying to get at um uh, you know in the, in the last thing we were talking about where it's just it is itself because it is so fully seen and we can see it too because of that um i i just there's this part where they where you get to see dyson's mother mm -hmm. and it says dyson's mother had the personality of a plasma globe the crooks of light inside her awoke to the slightest human interaction she ran an arm across my shoulders her touch was as light as a scarf I am a spiritually curious woman, she said without prompting. I need to be. It is the only thing keeping me buoyant. I mean it. I've been through a lot. Dyson will tell you. Tell her, Di. That's why I'm like this. That's why I'm so, she paused for a breath, kooky. Like that person, you only get that person for a few pages, but she stays with you. We are really seeing her. We're really seeing where she is, where Dyson lives. And, and it's a moment where... Um, you know, we're with you. And I feel like that it's related to how you access that kind of language, drawing on your life and drawing on the things that you've observed, drawing on nostalgia and space. And it's all coming together in that moment. Yeah. Um, and it's just beautiful. Thank, thank you so much. No, I really appreciate that. But uh, yeah, I mean, that one was came out of like a much older short story of mine that I'd written. And but like, I think that character like absolutely stuck with me. Um, so I think there's a sense that like, that's also, I think a really interesting question, right? Is like, like, where does the draft begin? <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. where do these, like, you know, I have this, like, it's as if like, that is like a brick that I use to like build a house, you know? <laughs> and like, does like, if I'm like, this house was built at like, you know, 20, 
11, right? Like, does that building of that house start when like the first brick showed up, right? Like, does it start when like the first brick was made, you know, like, and like, I mean, that's a pretty arbitrary metaphor, but I think like that's, it's interesting to think about like, oh, where did this character come from? When she was existing for such a long time, like elsewhere in other stories and other worlds until I like found sort of a home. Um, yeah, it's like, did I know, I didn't even know I was building a house as I was right. building this house. So Absolutely. was it a house? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or it's like, I think it's also sort of like, what if you're like lost in the woods and you're like, I didn't realize yeah. that I was building, that I needed to build a shelter, but like, I guess like the roof is going to be my shirt. <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> um, so. Can, can the, can drafting and, you know, making a novel be that, without intention unintentional for you aisle is that the kind of thing where you can kind of stumble backwards into it or do you typically approach novel projects with much more kind of shape and focus i don't think i have a lot of shape and focus um i think shape and focus for me come sort of via the process um, so as in like you know i get myself i like just start writing and then i realize like oh like this didn't go anywhere, right? Like, and then I sort of reverse engineer, like take a step back and try to figure out, well, where did I go wrong? What is still interesting about this? Uh, and from there, I start to try to create more of the scaffolding for this book. That's especially how it felt for the Atmospherians, which really just began between conversations between Sasha and Dyson that they mm -hmm. were having like unclear where they were for me, um, unclear sort of what they were doing. And, but it was just like getting those characters' voices onto the page. Right. And with that, I think eventually like the writing process was just a lot of meandering until I felt like I found the, um, the like plot that could sustain these characters. Mm. I'm interested, um, just with this, with People Collide, your next book yeah. uh, that's coming out in 2023, if after going through, you know, the drafting and the, and the, and the purchase and the editing of the Atmospherians and kind of going through the whole process with the first novel, if you approached first readers in a different way for People Collide, if you kind of had a sense of, you know what? this is really helpful for me. And this is the kind of thing where, you know, or like this kind of feedback might be interesting, but it's not the kind of thing that's maybe going to aid my process. Did you approach the second book in a way that felt markedly different from the first, from, from kind of that perspective, from draft, from kind of later drafting? Yeah, that's interesting. Right. And so I think when I started going out to readers, um, I, weirdly enough, I like, um, I had all readers who did not read early drafts of the Atmospherians. Um, and I think there was part of it that I wanted to like, it was almost as if I needed to get away from like, like whatever, like a uh, like total detachment from like that connection to like, totally. early, you know, like I want to totally. go, like, oh, this is a fresh start, right? Like, mm -hmm. like type of thing, you know? And so that, um, and one of them was like a friend who wanted to do a novel exchange. So I did that with him. Um, another was a friend who I'd just been talking to about this book for a while. Um, and then like another person was like a friend on Twitter who had just uh, finished 
actually, I think past guest of yours, uh, Julia Fine. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah, so we, she's uh, great. yeah, she's amazing. So we, um, we did an exchange and that was actually really good because it was like, we don't really know each other, mm-hmm. right? right. But like, and, and we can read, I think was like a really interesting eye of like how to really get to that next step of like, um, you know, like we've read each other's work and like make jokes, right? But like, you know, that next step of like, from a reader who would just pick it up off the shelf, right? And like, what would they think about this book? So that was really wonderful. Um, and other than that, like I kept it pretty close, right? I was, I think what really changed for me with editing is that I absolutely wanted to get to the end of this book before I started sharing it with people, mm-hmm. which was very different in the Atmospherians. I think what I eventually learned in the Atmospherians is that I needed to get to the end um, before I could like really receive any feedback that mattered at all right oh, like nice. I was so desperate to send out like 50 pages and for people to like tell me what to do um but that's <laughs> just not like how it works right and that's right. and I think what's interesting about that is that like people can tell you what to do and like every option can be correct right like, exactly a totally different version of this book in which I take like different advice on page 51 and I write something totally different right and like in that book you know, it doesn't exist just because I chose not to go in that direction, right? Maybe that's a better book. Maybe it's a much worse book, right? But it's just like, all I can know is that it's like a different book. And I think um, for the most part, it's really important, especially if you're trying to create a world that seems really uh, unique to the artist's vision, that like the artist, the writer be able to like get to the end of it so that they can have an understanding of what they want to do. So that when people talk about it and read it, they actually have a sense of like what was attempted here mm-hmm. rather than the possibilities of I think, like what might grow out of the sort of like soil that is there. I think that's such a important insight because I, I feel it in myself the longer I write that I just, I, <laughs> I'm more wary of getting smart people's opinions early on. Mm-hmm. because of what you just said, I'll, it's like, yeah, I mean, you're going to get several brilliant readings from your friends or from your acquaintances, wherever they may be coming from, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything for your book. And <laughs> even if, even if they're so sharp and they're, they're pointing you in a macro way, you know, down the right path, yeah. that doesn't actually complete your project for you or even create it for you in any real way. Like you said, you have to take it all the way to the end because it's you, it, it, you know, it's Isle's book. It's Lindsay's book. It's, it's, you know, it it really has nothing to do with the people who are weighing in and in a very real way. It's like um, it's such a hard lesson to learn or, and not even a lesson. It's just, it's just a hard, it's a hard writing rule. I feel like, because, like you said, there's there there really is that impulse after 50 pages, 100 pages, fucking two paragraphs that you want to send it to a, <laughs> you want to send it to a buddy and just say, hey, how did I do? Is this OK? And it's like, God damn, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. No, absolutely. Right. And I think that that like I think I very much like prevented myself from having that this time like, you know, every once in a while I would like send a friend like a sentence I really of like, course. but otherwise like you know, like that friend would be like, great work, keep going. Right. But they didn't have enough like context to be like, this is what I think that you should do. Right. Yeah. It's just reminding me that, um, Kyle Beachy and Jack gems both read eat only when you're hungry. Um, before it was finished. 
Mm-hmm. And both of them were like, and I can't wait to find out what happens to the sun, what happens to GJ. <laughs> and, you know, like basically like you better fucking write that. And, I, and it just wasn't the book I was writing. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it's that tough. Bit. You have to make those calls yourself, you know, and it's like, it feels very lonely. That book exists in their like collective unconscious, right? Like it's someplace, right? right? Like, um, yeah, in like a secret vault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bottom of the sea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's it like working with Rakesh? It's amazing. Rakesh is really great. He is, I mean, I'm really psyched that I'm going to be able to work with him again. Um, and I guess like insider knowledge <laughs> like it's not even insider right like um I, I had lunch with him this week and we talked about um you know plans for this next book and like what I need to do editing wise and just sort of had that conversation that was really exhilarating and Rakesh is just like a really great editor on like the line level and I think is the perfect mix of like really complimentary and stern like there are times as I was actually thinking about this when you were asking about my language is that there are moments when he's like all right like you've hit your simile quota like oh. in this chapter <laughs> essentially like um or like or you know like um we're just like oh like this just doesn't make sense and I'm like oh like how dare you right and I'm like well like I guess it doesn't make sense you know um and so that uh that type of stuff I think is like really good for me, right? Cause like something can like sound good. One of them, for example, I think I was, uh, I said that like a hallway was as empty as a broken bowl. And he was like, you know, this like sounds interesting, but like when I think about it, it sort of like falls apart, right? And so I think like those types of moments for me are like, yeah, like, but it sounds interesting, you know? Um, but I think like having an editor who can be really um, aware of those, I think really, I mean, that's sort of how like, great sentences are made is that someone can be like you did great here but like this one like you're a little like a little too like high on your own ego at that point right you know so that um it's been really wonderful having him and I think like just as like plot wise he's just so brilliant and so smart um and just so like I think just supportive of the book and of my work in general and that I think was most important so I'm moving to a different uh, publishing house, but I'm really, really lucky that I get to work with him again, which I think That's is like awesome. the dream to be able to just like stay with the people. Who know yeah. Mm-hmm. God, that really does seem you. amazing. That just seems like such a gift. That's awesome. Do you ever feel like those, those moments when you're like that hallway, like a broken bowl? Yeah. It exists in your head because you have like these connections that make sense based on your life experience. Yeah. Or sometimes like for me, it's like, these two different movies that I know I've quoted my whole life. And so it's just become like part of my DNA. Yeah. And so it almost, it almost hurts more because it's like, but this is who I am, man. You know, <laughs> like uh, it, it's <laughs> actually, <you> get it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I didn't say the one that I've actually been thinking out a lot more is that I had a line that like, I felt like a child scooping dirt into milk. Um, Ooh, I like and- that. And Rakesh was like, do kids do this? Um, and I was like, I don't know. Like, but like, um, You're like, but, kid does this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Baby yeah. Isle does this. Uh, yeah, Rakesh. exactly. Yeah, but, but like, and like, you know, but I think, he, I think he's right, right? But it's something that I think like, like what you're talking about, Lindsay, is I think goes back to what we were saying about like, how do you create like a unique and like, um, I don't know, like unified vision, right? And it's about that you're like dredging up all of this like old, like 
visual like all of these visuals and this imagery that is coming from who knows where right like yeah and it's like you deeply know, meaningful but it's beyond words almost absolutely right like maybe there was a moment when I did scoop dirt into milk right like or something like that <laughs> as you a know? mom and, I can yeah, say maybe with confidence, maybe there was there was yeah. a moment when you scooped dirt. <laughs> <laughs> listen maybe um, yeah um and so I think like that for me is like you know I don't know where it's coming from, but it seems like powerful to me. And I think the question is like, um, through a vision, like what can I create that is both powerful to me and accessible to a reader? Totally. Right? And, and that I think is the conversation that Rikesh and I are having on those like line to line levels is like, mm -hmm. again, this like sounds really interesting to me, but at a certain point there needs to be a connection with a reader where it can have a very similar like um, resonance for them. Because that's mm -hmm. like the end of, that's the end of a long paragraph about how the character is always like messing up and getting in their own way. So I think like if that simile doesn't land with a kind of universality to it, then it risks reducing the power of the character's sort of singular obsession with mm -hmm. how they get in their own way. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I really wanted to talk to you about was all of your goddamn freelancing. You, <laughs> yeah are publishing like crazy. And I, al I always think like, you know, every time I see a new article, a new essay pop up, I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, how <laughs> is Isle doing this and also writing fiction? I cannot relate to that at all. And I just am <laughs> like, how are you doing this? How are you able to separate the two? How do I just, you- I imagine- you, Alex, in your black socks and your house slides, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. holding your phone and just being like, God damn it. <laughs> no, no, I'm that's How exactly yeah. doing this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, not angry, just like fucking how the fuck are they doing this? Like <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do you separate the writing within your day? Or is it the kind of thing that you you just fucking <laughs> get done what you have to get done? Yeah. I mean, I, I will say um, there is some sort of like uh, slight hand here or sleight of hand, right? Because like, you know, I, I, my novel went out on submission in like late February. So like, and I just got edits back this week, right? So like, I haven't been working on that for a very long time. Sure. Um, so like, there's that, but like, I think I have always been pretty good at like really separating. Um, I mean, I got a PhD in 2020 and that, and I was getting that while I was writing The Atmospherians and that really forced me to compartmentalize. So I needed to be like, I didn't- I remember want... there was like an insane couple months, right? Where you were like compressing. I remember this. There was like yeah. an insane amount of classes that you were compressing into a that, month or yeah. two, right? There was a time when I, I took a deal to- turn a five-year program into a four-year program that would get me out of like responsibilities for the fifth year. Right. Um, but I had to like do my exams and write my dissertation and like my, a long critical piece about my dissertation um, over the span of one year versus two. Um, and then something right. happened. I had like a big life event and I needed to compress that into one semester. And then COVID started. Um, oh so, my God. And and I was also trying to work on edits for the novel, right? So it was oh like a God. lot of things. And I think like that was sort of like, I guess I'm just gonna have to do this, you know? And like, <laughs> and I didn't really did. have, yeah, I didn't have much going on. I was really fortunate at the time to be able to be in a position where like I could really focus only on those aspects of my life. Um, but I also think that, you know, when I was 
in my PhD and when I was teaching and trying to write this novel and doing like my own coursework because like I had to learn like okay from like 7 30 to 10 30 I will work on this novel from 10 30 to like noon I will exercise and then like from noon to the end of the day I will do like PhD work or teaching or like stuff like that right and it was just extremely regimented about how I filled my days and I think I've been able to carry that and I'm normally like fiction for me is something that comes out of the morning and when I'm doing stuff like freelance work um, that stuff normally comes to me in the afternoon because that I think is when my brain is more like research brain or like and the sentences are very different I mean that that I think is like another thing that's like I think fiction sentences and like freelance sentences as I've has been really hard to actually unlearn the sort of like fiction sentences that I needed to have is like for the freelance essays that I'm writing it seems to me that like clarity and conveying information is the most important thing Mm -hmm. versus I think conveying feeling in a novel so like that exactly right so switching between those two things is like you know I find the latter one a lot easier once I figured out how to do it at first it was way harder because I was like how do I like stop doing this sentence thing right like but once I realized that like oh it takes like a different part of my brain then that like made it a lot easier for how me. do I not I eat stop grandma? doing this sentence yeah, yeah, thing <laughs> yeah exactly yeah this sentence thing just getting in the way yeah yeah I love that um I wanted to mention yeah. I wanted to call out how much I appreciate that your Twitter bio mentions you're a child of divorce, divorce, <laughs> divorce. <laughs> um, and I just want to, I, I feel like people aren't, no one talks about that anymore. No one talks about being a child of divorce or, or a child of divorce. Um, yeah. and no one talks about the latter. This is the no, first time I'm hearing about it. Nobody fucking talks about divorce. Where are my divorce heads? <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know if it was a joke or like sarcastic or whatever, but I just so appreciated it as a, as a fellow child of divorce. Um, I mean, it, and I want to know what it, that means for you. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, like most things, it is both a joke and deathly serious. Yes. <laughs> like, right. Um, so, I mean, I think what's interesting is like, my parents split up before I was even one years old, right? Mm. Like, um, so, and my dad stayed in town though, um, and then ended up getting married to a new woman. And my mom ended up marrying a new guy, right? So, I think what's interesting, what I'm just sort of like realizing now is like, I'm saying like, oh, like I'm a child of divorce, which is also like weirdly, as I'm thinking like, oh, like both my parents have been married three times, right? So, a total of like, I guess I wasn't at the first wedding, but a total of like four weddings that I, um, Four weddings and a divorce. And a divorce. divorce. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're writing this script after this. We're getting on a new Zoom call. um, I can't make it. I'm so sorry. I'm busy. (laughs) Um, No, but um, so let's see. Oh, so I had all those like divorces around, right? And I think like it it just shaped, I think my relationship to like love and like literally space, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think a lot about the weekends that I spent at my dad's house where I was like a guest, you know? And it's a weird feeling to be a guest in your parents' house, right? And so like that sense of like, well, I guess like, like what am I allowed to eat in this house? Where do I sleep in this house, right? Like what am I allowed to do in this house, right? And I think that navigating of rules, I think is the thing that has like most 
stuck with me. And that's probably like most shaped, I think a lot of my life, right? It's like, how am I always scanning for like how to act in a place, oh you know? Oh my God, um, this is really speaking to me. Please keep going. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, I'm the Esther Perel of divorce. Um, so no, but I like, I think I like all of that, just like, like this is the type of thing that like shapes you without you really knowing it until you like look back at like, if you're lucky enough, I think to have, some sort of like body of work and to look back and be like oh like these themes are there right mm-hmm. this sense of like surveillance is there right this sense of like how am I presenting myself and I think it also was probably magnified by like not being out as trans mm-hmm. um and that also sense of like how do I find safety I think like you know and what I was like so I don't think that that is necessarily true of like all divorced kids. I think like it is, um, but I think that was like true of my worldview. And I think it also gave me an understanding of that things end. And I think also that people have very different narratives mm-hmm. of how things end and narratives of like how you can be in different places, right? Like how I could be at my dad's house was very different from how I could be at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. Um, like how I could talk to either one of them was so different, which I'm sure is clear for like any parent relationship but I think that that was so often considered alongside like I don't know like what I wanted from them and what those different things were that I wanted from them Mm -hmm. um and wanting versus what I could actually get from them I think that's a really interesting um divide as well right like of course there are things I wanted from my dad understood that I could not get and so I settled for the next best thing which is normally like you know ice cream or a toy or something like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I think um and like maybe you and I can work together um it would be a lot easier if our parents had just remarried each other because they're getting older <laughs> and there's too many of them right there's like too many of them <laughs> we have to like there's take too care many of, of them, all of them. <laughs> too many parents <laughs> too many parents there's like the step parents and the parents right and my husband's parents are divorced, so there's them. And so it's just like constant. You want less people. Yeah, they just need to get over it. Cause like, you're gonna have to get along and live in my basement together or something. Cause I don't know what else to do with you. Sure. I feel like I need to go on the record and say that I do not agree with the insinuations that Lindsay Hunter just put in. Of there needing to be less people. <laughs> no, but, um, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> No, no, but I, um, I think that's like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I feel like that would be the worst thing ever for my parents, right? Like if they got back, like, you know, yes, maybe they, it would be like convenient if they, like, right. yeah. They hate each like, other. I, I don't think they yeah. enjoy each other's, like, I don't, th- I don't even think they hate each other. It would just be like, it would, it would be like a reality show as if they were just like <laughs> random people like thrown together. It's like, it's like, what do you do? And they're like, do you have any kids? It's like, yeah, it's your kid too. And they're like, oh my God, that's so interesting. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh my god. Um, so like you know Isle, right? Like yeah. um, Have you so, met Isle our uh, kid? Yeah. Oh yeah, Isle. That yeah, rings a bell. Yeah. How do you know that? Yeah. <laughs> so Okay, and now I have to ask you a spoilery spoilery question. Yeah, let's do it. Am I crazy or did Dyson kill yes. Sasha and assume her identity at the end? Am I supposed to think something like that happened? You know, a lot of people have thought that. Okay. My answer. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Because it, it, it yeah. goes along with... Um... As in, you're not the first person to think you're right yet. <laughs> oh, 
I wanted to ask you a question. So the Atmospherians is published under your dead name, not your real name, obviously. Um, was that the kind of conversation you had with your publisher and just reached out and said, Hey, you know, this is my real name. Uh, I'm hoping for the next uh, run. We can, we can do that. Or did they initiate that conversation? I was just, I was just curious how that, how that worked. Yeah. So actually, I mean, the name change came to me. um, I've been thinking about it for, I've been thinking about like changing my name for a while. I mean, something that, uh, um, has just been in my mind that a lot of trans people think about. Um, and just like, if I wanted to change my name, if I wanted to like keep Alex, because like um, it can be read as uh, gender neutral, um, but it was something that I just sort of wanted to get away from. And then once this name came to me, I was actually working on a short story and I was like, what if I named this character Isle? Um, oh, wow. And then I just sort of like spent some time with that. Um, it's like fiction, it changes lives. Um, so. <laughs> So I did that and then I remember like texting a friend and I was like, oh my God, like, wouldn't it be weird if I changed my name to Isle? And he was like, so you're telling me you want to change your name to Isle? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then like a week later, I sold my second novel. And once that happened, I was very much like, oh, like I can't see my dead name on another book, Mm -hmm. right? Like I I really need to change this. And so like had a conversation with my agent. We had a conversation with um, Rakesh. um, And, you know, and before that I talked to like, my family and friends and my partner and all that. Um, and we just sort of like, and then I'm, after I talked to them, I made the announcement. And like from there, my actual, my editor at Atria reached out and was like, I didn't contact them directly, but she reached out, uh, her name is Lonely. She's amazing, she's great. Um, she took over when, uh, uh, she was actually Rakesh's assistant. And then I worked with her later on in the process after Rakesh left. left. Um, so, work she just said that they'd be they're looking on like what they need to do to change it and she reached out to me pretty immediately and that was really wonderful um i had to reach out to a lot of publications myself other places um depending on if like i have a connection with an editor i remember the journal no tokens just sort of changed it automatically because i know some of the editors there so they saw my post and then just sort of changed it which was wonderful um a lot of other places i needed to reach out to change it so right now i'm in the weird phase of like i have all these books that have my dead name on it that i see them and i'm sort of like proud of it but like i think it's a very like if you know you know moment where like someone will like cover um my dead name with their thumb if they take a picture of it um oh that's so cool yeah so like that seems to happen a lot from people and that's something that i like i really love and appreciate when i see that that level of like um intention is being taken um but yeah i mean now i'm just trying to sell down some stock so that we can get a reprinting um so which is to say please buy my book it's so <laughs> worth it it is yeah. so buy the book. come yeah. on guys what you fucking good well they'll do paperback at some point won't they and will they no, be able to change the paperback is out the oh it is out yeah oh okay okay well then what are you people waiting for Exactly. What the Get out fuck there. What are you waiting for? <laughs> I know. I'm just waiting for the. I'm on here for the. I'm a writer, butt spike. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll push listen. Listen. It. It is small but real. Yeah. No. I. I don't doubt it. <laughs> we take credit for I'm, whatever's I, out there. Okay. Yeah. That's true. I was. I was selling a stranger on the street real hard on Eric Krause's book today. Great. A stranger on the street. Yeah, I can talk to people. <laughs> I know you think I'm a fucking, you know, 
Neanderthal out in the streets, just like swinging my club. But Jesus Christ. I didn't, but now I definitely do. Yeah, you do. You do. I mean, I, I think I would like to see you giving us advice on how to talk to people in public. You know what, Kyle? You and I haven't been in the same room, but when we are in the same room, you're going to fucking receive that information with joy and we're going to have a blast. Uh, no, I know we are. I'm excited. Yeah, Alex is a delight. Stopping that we have, yeah, no, I, I absolutely suspect it. Yeah, I just I just want to know. I, I'm, you know, I, I need to do research. Sure. Suspect doing a ton of work in that sentence. <laughs> yeah. A very full sentence for Miles McElroy there. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, well, to reiterate how, because I think I said this before we officially started recording, um, the Atmospherians is so good. I could not put it down. I It was so funny. It was so uh, fucked up and poignant and wonderful. And if you're someone who's obsessed with the sentence level, you're going to be happy. And if you're someone who's like, just give me a lot of action, you're going to be happy. That's true. Um. It's so, so good. And I think I've, I've, I've developing this theory that anything, (laughs) anything Alexandra Kleeman blurbs is, is literally like good. Wow. Because I love her so much. And she blurbs some other book that I was just looking at. And I was like, well, and if Alexandra Kleeman says it, you know what it was? Great taste. It was, uh, it was Sasha's book. There you go. Okay. There if Kleeman has her stamp of approval on it, I'm in. There you go. And so should we all be. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus I, I, Christ, chill out. Yeah. <laughs> all hail Alexander Kleeman. Right. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, Isle, for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really wonderful. It uh, went in some directions that I did not anticipate. <laughs> that That's were... how we roll. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can't wait for people collide. Yes. And everyone go buy the Atmospherians. Mama Do needs it. a new, a second printing. That's right. Yeah. yeah Mama needs a new name on the cover. <laughs> That's it's right. A, it's Pride Month. But you need to buy. <laughs> yes. It's Pride Month. It's your duty. <laughs> yeah, it's Pride Month, you goddamn assholes. Yes. What are you yeah. doing? What are you, we're already halfway through. I am using this. Yeah. I'm, I'm co-opting. I am targeting in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Um, but this is really wonderful, and I appreciate you having me on. It was nice. Thank you, Isle. Thank you, Isle. See you on the internet. I will see you there, <laughs> where we never leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had a kind of awesome thing happen the other day. <gasps> our our friend, uh, J. Robert Lennon. John, love John, you, love you, John. Uh, he sent me a text uh, with a picture of a just a it was just line notebook paper and it was a list of names and the and there was a date on there and it said like you know June tenth, twenty eleven, and then it was a list of maybe like twenty five names and sent this out of the blue, you know, just no context, I have no idea, and the first name written down was a higley i was like what What the fuck is this and so john is taking over the lit mag out of cornell called epic um Mm -hmm. because uh michael i don't know if it's coke or 
I don't know how to pronounce the name, but K-O-C-H, I think it's Michael Koch. And if I'm mispronouncing it, I'm sorry. Um, recently passed away and I guess was kind of a legendary figure, figure for people who went to Cornell and or are familiar with Epic um, and, and kind of ran that magazine for a long time with a lot of love and kept handwritten uh, like <laughs> notes about who submitted for some reason. I don't oh even understand gosh. the process, what? but John went to this guy's office who was, who was a buddy of his and was just kind of going through like a huge, it was like a, you know, like a cluttered office, like a bunch of notebooks of all these people who had submitted and he opened up one and the first page he opened up, my name was at the top. What? And the crazy thing was I went, I have the first several, so this was 2011. So the first like several years of my submitting, I have like very detailed records and I went and I found the submission. I sent it back to John. It was the 10th ever submission I sent out. Oh and my God. I sent it to him and for some reason it was like really moving to me. And I just was like, I don't know. It just felt like a tangible relic of like work put in, even though there was no result from this, but it's just mm -hmm. like, you know, we're here 11 years later, I'm still doing it. I'm still going. Mm -hmm. John is now a friend of mine. And, you know, he wasn't a part of any of that process early on, but it's just, it just felt special to me. And I, I told him, I was like, Hey, thank you so much for sharing this with me. This, this is really cool. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Sometimes coincidence like that, I feel like can be more revealing than you can articulate. Mm -hmm. And it felt mm -hmm. like one of those moments where I was just like, Oh man, this is cool. That was, that is amazing. Isn't that crazy? He has to send that to you. Oh man. I don't know about that. I'll send you the pictures though. It's crazy. It's yeah. just like, it's nuts. That's so cool. Well, yeah. now you have to be an epic edited by J. Robert Lennon. Yeah. Isn't that crazy though? Jesus. That's really cool. What else is I, going on with you? Well, I'm now reading Andrew Lipstein's book, Last Resort. And you're loving it. I love it. For anyone who's a writer or knows a writer. <laughs> you should God, read I'm book. sorry to all those people. <laughs> um, even a writer, but. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I'm really loving that. And, and I had never, I wasn't familiar with Andrew or his work before. Right. Um, he's it's out on FSG, um, my former home. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's how you're going to open the episode with him, right? Yeah. So, uh, really cool to read a book from my former home. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's real, real good. I can't get enough. Nice. Um, and we're going to North Carolina on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. My family and I are driving, driving there. A little summer vacay. Little summer vacay in two days. Yeah, we're not ready. Nothing's packed. God, the I've never a taken mess. a road trip of that magnitude with my kids. I'm Buckle up, because you will one day. Buckle up, Buttercup. <laughs> um, um, but the kids are really excited. Of course. So. On. On Wednesday, Stanley Cup starts. My team is in it. Go Avs. Go Avs. This is a pro Avs podcast. If you're a Lightning fan, get fucked. Don't listen. <laughs> Unsubscribe. <laughs> you're a fucking loser. Um, fuck you, Tampa Bay. All right. Um, I feel like there was something I was going to bring up, but I can't remember. So who cares? I'll bring it up next time. Sounds great. I'll talk Bye. to you when I talk to you. Okay. Bye. Bye, bud.
I'm a Writer But is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop.